Cardinal Conversations, a career podcast from Catholic University of America, brought to you by the Center for Academic and Career Success and the Office of Alumni Engagement. My name is Dr. Ryan Cheatham. I'm the Associate Director of Employer Relations and Assessment in the Center for Academic and Career Success, and I have with me my partner in crime, Brett LaPrad, the Director of Career Development and Professional Networking in the Office of Alumni Engagement. How's it going, Brett? Hey, Ryan. It's going really well. It's nice to flip the scripts, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. You did yeah. great. Thank you so much. Yeah. For those of you who don't know, I, I usually don't do the introduction, so yeah. this is nice. <laughs> yeah, this is a first, and you knocked it out of the park. Uh, it was very clear. Thank you. We didn't have to record it 50 times like we normally do when I do them, so major <laughs> kudos to you. Thank you so much, and I don't know, maybe it's because I'm excited. We're about to move into the new space, Garvey yeah. Hall. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, this is packing week. Packing week. Packing week, and they're kicking us out. <laughs> <laughs> of McMahon. Yeah, but you're getting yeah. a pretty nice space from what I understand, right? And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the Center for Academic Career Success is moving into mm -hmm. one level of the new Garvey Hall, which is the new dining facility on campus. Yes. What's that space going to look like for you guys? Oh, so for us, we're excited because we're going to have space for the students to be able to just study or or relax, get ready before their next class or exam or whatever have you. Interview. Interview, exactly. So so we're excited about how we're going to utilize the space and we're looking forward to employers not having to book extra rooms. They could just come right to us. Yeah. And yeah, in the student center, there's supposedly some really good Mongolian barbecue upstairs. Oh, I'm all about that. All about those, those vibes, those smells coming in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully that'll be nice for more than just the first few days hopefully that'll yeah. be an ongoing nice thing right 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 um you know um uh to that end we will have those tables that kind of like stand up and i think that i'm definitely going to need some stand time being right underneath mm. the cafeteria going out for some yeah. walks because that could be extremely tempting yeah yeah <laughs> having those pleasant smells all day and <laughs> right. i hear that there's also going to be like this upscale restaurant in yeah, it. Do you know anything tower, about that? The tower. So it's, it's, I don't think it's like a full, full restaurant, but there's like an area that they're going to make, you know, kind of nicer than, than the whole building is nice, but like upscale furniture, that type of thing. Yeah. But I think there's going to be like a printed menu for like that area, the patio outside. Hmm. So they've got some great plans. Nice. Yeah. 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 That's fancy. Wow. I know. Yeah. The place <laughs> where I went to college, we called our main dining hall, the pit, because it was in the the basement of the building it was in, but also because the food was not the best. Oh, no. <laughs> but by the time folks are listening to this, I think Garvey Hall will be open. You'll be moved. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. if you want to interview students and get connected with CACS, mm -hmm. the Career Center, you have a great Come new place to by. do it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Ryan, that's a lot of stuff going on in the university, but there's been a lot of stuff going on in our guests' life and career. So let's... Turn it to her. I agree. We're so excited to have Melva Covington with us today. I can't wait to hear about her journey and her story. Let's get started, Brett. Let's do it. Welcome to our conversation with the Cardinal for this week, Ryan. I'm really excited for who we have because she has had quite the career in leading teams, doing research projects, getting research teams up and off the ground for different organizations. And yeah, not many people I know of that have not only two master's degrees, but also a PhD to go with it. So Ooh. I'm yeah, I'm excited to learn more about her story and 
what brought her to do that and what she's been up to. So we have with us today Dr. Melva Covington, a graduate of the class of 1984. So Melva, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. And Ryan, what's the first thing you think we should ask Melva? Well, if you could just share with us your journey. I mean, I want to start with back when you were a student and the foundation it set for you. What have you been up to since Catholic U? So I've just been chilling, really. (laughs) Okay, nice. (laughs) Right. You know, Catholic U provided a very good foundation, first let me say this, and a good exposure not only to the humanities, but a solid liberal arts education. So I really grounded in philosophy, the schools of thoughts, and had a chance when I then started to go into the real world to think about how that applied. And so, whereas my original interest was in going directly to business school, and business school told me that I need to get a couple more years of work, which is cool, I ended up really working for a developmental research project working with pregnant women in Washington, D.C. And that really enabled me to see how if you provide information and if you provide people with the opportunity to make good decisions, what will happen is, is they will make those good decisions. And what I ended up seeing was is that really by providing an environment where people were comfortable, environment where people felt, felt as though they were safe and had access to information, that they actually were able to have their birth outcomes changed. So that made me switch not only from an MBA at that time, to go into a master's of public health and maternal and child health. And so I I took that graduate adventure and and went on to do that and get an MPH. And then I wanted to really understand how it worked in the context of the system, system of healthcare. And so I went on to get a a PhD, not only in health services administration, but education. I mean, really that set me off into the world of really looking at data and data management and working with large data sets, as well as doing public health and population health. All of that was absolutely phenomenal. Wow. Um, what ended up happening, if I can just kind of like do a speech shot, is I ended up going into the pharmaceutical industry and I stayed in the pharmaceutical industry for about 17 years doing work in real world evidence, doing work in clinical operations, doing some policy work, but mostly focusing on health economics and outcomes research. Mm. But what I've been doing since then is really coming real full circle, right? So mm. um, I, I realized probably about seven years ago that the world was changing and there were all these disruptive technologies that were impacting not only, you know, how we do day-to-day business with the internet and you know all these digital applications but also how that was impacting health outcomes and and health in the healthcare arena so what i ended up doing is taking a risk actually and stepping outside of my comfort zone in a very secure sort of like you know big pharmaceutical company and really trying to understand really what were the dynamics in a variety of different industries so for the past really seven years I've had an opportunity to explore different kinds of opportunities, different kinds of businesses, working with different people and and just doing a lot of uh, great things. Right now, I've I've launched actually a consulting company called Agape Strategic Solutions of Maryland uh, that that is is fully launched as of of last month. Wow. And, you know, we're going to continue the journey of, of really helping people and seeing how it all fits together so that people can get better and get good outcomes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That is wonderful. Yeah, I'm telling you, she's been doing some stuff, not just chilling. Uh, Right, (laughs) right, right. But I mean, when you do it and you love it, it's just a part of you. Melva, thanks for giving us an overview of a lifetime's worth of work there in just a few minutes. And so we'll, we'll dive into some of the things that have 
gotten you to where you are today and the things that have made you tick to help you get there. But one of the things that I know that students think about and alumni, especially younger alumni, think about is, should I go back to school and should I, is it worth going to pursue an advanced degree? And you are someone who has made that decision several times over. So I don't want to put the cart before the horse, but you must think that there's some value there and you had your reasons for doing it. Why did you decide to pursue those advanced studies and what kinds of doors were you hoping that they would open for you and what have they led to for you? Um, that's a very interesting question. So the first answer is that I primarily went into those fields. And so I'm talking about, uh, of course, the BA and in, in politics and economics at Catholic, the Master's of Public Health and the PhD at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And then in my work career, deep in my work career, I went back and got an MBA from, from Cornell. So those are the degrees that I got. And I got them because I loved the subject matter to the point that you're making. Yeah. But there's another reason why I thought it was important to get them. I wanted to get them early, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to, like, for me personally, because I wanted to get them sort of like out of the way so that I could then focus on what I wanted my career to be, mm -hmm. right? So they yeah. need the path forward. The third reason why I got it was, uh, and I must be very transparent, is because as an African-American woman and professional woman in corporate America, I felt as though I needed my credentials on the table, mm -hmm. right? Because I needed to deal with any issue, any, um, any you know, uh, inadvertent uh, bias or implicit bias, I wanted that out of the way, right? I don't want anyone's conversation in their mind to be thinking, is she eligible? Is yeah. she qualified? Should she be at this stage? Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that, right? Mm -hmm. so, okay, so the best thing for me to do, right, is let's just show that card so we can get that out of the way. Now let's get down to business. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do. Another part of what I do when I go into meetings in particular is I usually wear French cuff shirts, with cufflinks, right? Which has which sends the impression. Okay, come on now. Let's 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 kind of get down to business. Yeah. So those mm -hmm. are the kinds of things I think that that one thinks about is they then think about what do I need to do to take ownership of my own career? Mm -hmm. What do I need to do to take ownership of my own life without without being um, you know, sort of in your face, but to say there's there's value in diversity, number one, value in what people bring to the table. And let's, and let's try to work through the process of trying to be the best that I can be. Yeah. Yeah. And Melva, you've had a, a long career, an extensive career in research. Can you tell us about one of your favorite, most impactful research projects you've worked on and what you learned from working on that? Thank you for that question. Actually, the this the example that I'm going to, going to give you actually relates to what I'm now doing in my business. It's been so impactful in my perspective. So while at Eli Lilly and Company, I was working and I was leading a, a, a U.S. team in the area of diabetes. And there was also an initiative that was called Face Diabetes by that company in which they wanted to really go in certain communities with high levels or high prevalence of diabetes and also obesity, but particularly diabetes and cardiovascular disease to, 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 to provide education to help the community be, be more sort of engaged and more in partnership with initiatives around trying to deal with or address the, the, the devastating problem of diabetes in certain communities. So the study, the research, the project, the initiative was a joint initiative between the, the leaders within certain communities, um, Chicago, uh, Atlanta, D.C., 
you know, Alabama, the certain community, Mississippi, there's certain communities. The, the, the goal was to go in partnership with, with, with pa patients or particular individuals with diabetes, advocates, as well as people from the, from, from the company to jointly develop an initiative to help educate people within the community and help them connect them to the appropriate research. It was, it was, it was DSA free, um, but it was an opportunity to really engage and, and go through what we call participatory action research and making sure that there was partnership, not, not so much, we are this big company, we're coming to you, we're giving this to you, you got to take it. That wasn't the issue. It was really collaborative. Mm -hmm. And I think my role was also not only to be a part of that, but also to measure the effectiveness of it. So I was able to really evaluate how effective it was in terms of people's uh, knowledge retention, people's engagement, people's satisfaction. And that was so, I think, powerful. Not only did was the reach up to 20,000 people in, in a couple of years time frame, but people really felt as though they were appreciative, very much like better babies. The first thing when I came out of Catholic, right, this model of making sure that people were engaged in the process was very much a part of that. That was so impactful to me that, um, you know, I, I integrate that into all of the work that I that I do. So I'm, I'm, I'm even known in the industry as the patient woman, right, because I'm always I'm the nag at the table uh, when people are trying to develop therapies and trying to look at, you know, what should we do, whether it's digital therapeutics or whether it's, you know, using, you know, a pill or insulin, whatever it is. I'm the person at the table to, to say, what does the patient think? Have we concluded the patient's input? Um, how, how is it collaborating with what is going on in terms of what's happening in a day to day basis in people's lives? Not just, you know, can they take this pill or can they get the shot? That really has led itself very well, I think, to the work that I'm doing now, which is building not only a business, but building a system of engaging consumers, patients, advocates in what we're doing to provide innovative solutions to uh, chronic diseases. What you have now is you have the innovation of these of these very, you know, wonderful medicines, these life-saving medicines. And what we're finding, particularly in clinical trials, is that a very small portion are actually people who have the highest prevalence, right? So, so we're finding, trying to find a way in terms of how we can develop systems and strategies to make sure that we are addressing the issues of disparity, the issues of uh, representation and, and research, the issues of how you measure that, how you evaluate the data, how do you look intuitively to make sure that the, the opinions and, and the perspectives and the and the and the life experiences of people are included in the research that comes out and the research that's published. So it's, it's really full circle. It's a long way of, of saying that the research that involves really integration of the, 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 the voice of the community, mm -hmm. as well as the high level science and, and tools that we use, are the best kinds of studies that I like to do. Mm -hmm. You can see the impact on people's lives. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that you're known as the patient woman. I love how many different meanings that can possibly have. Yeah. But I, I appreciate, and I think this is one of the things that the university tries to instill in all the students and that our alumni do a pretty good job of instilling themselves is putting people at the center of the work that we're doing and making the work about benefiting people. It's not just about, you know, to your point, creating this therapy that will you know, in a, in a broad way, help people and heal people. But, you know, at the end of the day, bring profits to 
therapeutics companies, pharmaceutical companies, but you being there to say, well, what does a patient think about the way this is administered? What does a patient think about the way that they're interacting with their primary care physicians or their specialists in the way that it's being administered and how you're tracking all of that and figuring out what works and what doesn't? I mean, that's amazing. That's that's, that's what we hope to hear from all alumni, the way that you that you put the people at the center. So thank you for doing that. I'll give you an anecdote. Um, yeah, please. Conference and I was pretty I was presenting a section for um, a digital therapeutic conference in which people were making not only digital apps, but sort of software platforms. And I sent out a pre-conference question. And the question was, how do you, do you integrate the patient's voice in your developmental process? And what extent do you, if you, if you do so, right? So I got a set of answers beforehand. The answer beforehand was pretty much not at all, right? Mm. And then we did the conference and we bought patient groups and patients and advocacy groups into the conference that talked about the power of their experience in developing a product before it hits the market, right? And after then, we then took another survey and asked, you know, how, to what extent do you plan to now include the patient's voice in your work, managing for patients? And it went up exponentially, like mm. 50 or 60%. So it has an impact. Wow. It really mm-hmm. does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Wow. Uh, well, you have not only been in the nitty gritty of doing research yourself, but you have also created teams and you're starting your own business consulting firm now to think about these things and help other organizations. But you've led teams, you've managed teams. And so one of the things that we like to ask folks who have been in those kinds of positions is, what do you think makes a good leader or a good manager? What is your leadership style? What is your philosophy of leading people? Thank you for the question. I think that, and I can only speak for, again, my style, many styles work. Of course, it's situational based on where you are, but in in most, if not all of the situations that I have been in, I am a, a servant leader, but I'm a focused servant leader, right? So my approach, as you can probably imagine, is, is quite collaborative, right? Quite inclusive in terms of not only thought, but people. But I think that what I like to do is first start with a, a strategy or a direction for where we're going. And that's really important. You can be a person who you know gets along well, and that's fine. But if people are not clear about directionally where you're going, you will not have a successful team because your team must not only be based on uh, good people, but you should have some sort of you know key performance indicators or some sort of goal that you want to get to in order for not only the team to be successful, but but the operation to be successful. So I would say that the kind of leader that I am is a leader that first starts with the concept of I respect people. Right. And I respect where you're coming from. And I want there to be a diverse voice, number of voices at the table. What I don't what I think is disruptive, if I may say that, is to have a leader who believes that he or she is the smartest person in the room. As a matter of fact, I actually do the opposite. I try to find people who are bright, intelligent, much more smarter than I or I think that how I think I am and let them in a very, you know, organized or strategic way, go for a task, right? With the deliverables associated with that. And then allow the the, the, the growth to, to come organically. I think that that is one of the amazing things in building high performance teams. Because it's not just a matter of building teams. It's not just a matter of building teams that are diverse. You want teams that perform well and get along well together and respect each other in the process. So that's the kind of leader that I am. And I reward success. I reward success and I also reward failure. 
right? Because I want you to get to what, what doesn't work fast uh, so that yeah. you can do something else. So I don't think that failing is, is a bad thing. Actually, I think it could be a good thing because hopefully there's there's learning. I learned most from my bike when I fell and, and, and scratched at my knees, right? Not when yeah. I was riding like long distances, but when I actually did something wrong. Um, and I think that's important. If I can just say one final thing about this. I, I found that the last seven years in particular were very important, hmm. right? Because I was not in an environment in which I knew how to do what I knew how to do. If I can say that in, in the pharma environment in which I was in, I pretty much knew how to do probably mostly anything, everything, right? Because I was trained well, right? It's what I grew up with. It was, it was, it was what was traditional. It was what I had learned in school. You know, it's just a matter of applying that. When I stepped out of that and stepped into consulting companies or, or startup companies or new biotech industries, right, that were just kind of like forming and norming, right, my expertise fit, mm -hmm. but I had to figure out how it fit, fit mm -hmm. right? So there were some times in which, you know, I bombed out miserably, right? There were some times that I didn't bomb out in industry, but the business may have bombed out miserably, right? Or there may have been some instances in which it just wasn't a fit, right? So those experiences, and I would encourage people, don't shy away from experiences and you say, oh, can't do that, or I might, I might mess up. Go for those experiences if it's in an area that you feel is important for your learning and for your growth and for your development. Because if, if, the, if, if you go into those experiences and if you learn, you will figure out what you need to do for yourself, that you will figure out what, what you need to do for what your goal is and allow yourself the space to do it. And if you don't get it right, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Just up and do it again or go do something else. You can always change your mind. Sometimes people feel locked into jobs or into careers that they can't stand. Uh, I, I'm a believer, don't stay in a position if, if you hate it because that's going to eat you alive, mm -hmm. you know, Take the risk. Go do something else if you can, right? Or, or work to do something else if you can. But the most important thing that I that I do, and it's what I also teach or talk about um, in my business and in my church, is just, you know, do something that gives you joy or at least work towards giving, doing something that gives you joy. And, and it may not be comfortable at first, mm -hmm. but continue to work. And if you fail, just get back up and keep going. And if you if you find that it's not what you want to do, that's okay. Change your mind and go and, go and do something else. Mm -hmm. It's all right. That's great because I'm, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm listening to you, to your advice, to you talk, and I'm thinking about students who, students who are going into an internship and they're given their first major project that has a huge impact or a domino effect in, in, in the particular organization or department that they're working for, or the person who's in their first supervisory role or a role that requires some type of vision and strategic plan how to be confident in their strategy, how to be confident in their passion, knowing that the two of them are enough to take on whatever the task or challenge is. And I just want to thank you for, for reiterating the importance of being confident in the risk that you have what it takes to pull yourself up and learn from the lesson and continue to move forward in those new talents and skills that you gain from if it's a success or a failure. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much yeah. for that. Yeah. You're quite welcome. And what I would add to that is that in the process, ask a lot of questions, right? Ask questions. Sometimes we're fearful of asking questions because you don't want people to think that you don't know anything or you don't know enough, right? And that holds us back, right? Again, because we want to be the smartest person in the room, right? 
So ask the questions that you, if you don't understand, say you don't understand, ask it, find out the answer, right? It's, it's, it's okay. Melva, this is our blast from the past segment where we look through the university archives to see what you were up to as a student or other things that were going on around campus when you were a student. And we try to tie it into a career question, talk about development, how it plays into who you are today. And so I, I did a search for you and I found you a few times in yearbooks and you were in a few tower articles. One article you were in that we won't spend a lot of time talking about this, but I didn't share this with you because it's a very, very blurry picture of you doing recruiting for AKA in September <laughs> of 83. So maybe we'll talk about that as it ties into the what we're actually going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. So in the tower from March the 23rd, 1984, and if you're listening, you can click on the show description. You can follow the link there if you want to read along. There was a brief op-ed letter written to the editor about something that, Melva, you were instrumental in putting on, it sounds like. And so I'm going to read this for us just to set the stage so that we all know what we're talking about. So the letter to the editor is from Catherine P. Mack, who's an administrative assistant in the early Christian and medieval studies department. And the title of her letter was, What a Production, with an exclamation point in the headline. So that's, I mean, that's pretty cool. That's a good start. Right. So- On the last Friday of February, a special event was held on campus to commemorate Black History Month. This was the spiritual jubilee held in Hartke Theater by Basakua. The evening of song, dance, recitation, and audiovisual effects was most ably produced and narrated by Melva Covington, a senior major in politics. The participants and stage crew were largely Catholic University students, But there were also guest appearances by four off-campus groups, including the St. Augustine Gospel Choir, who can sing to knock your socks off. In fact, the whole evening knocked my socks off. What a pity more of the CUA community didn't manage to be there. Next time y'all come too. This production is worthy of a much larger audience. So it sounds like quite the event that you put on, Melva. Yeah. Uh, not only did you narrate, you produced it. So I just got to know more. Like what what went into this? What was your role? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that definitely is a blast from the past. Like a long time. I mean, Basakul is an amazing is was an amazing organization stands for the Black Organization of Students at at the Catholic University of America. And it was a very diverse group of students, of of people of color, different, not only nationalities, but, uh, and it's not just for Black students, for everyone, but we really had a, a really a dynamic group of people. And this is what we wanted to do. We wanted to bring the energy of just the diversity of people of color to the larger organization and we wanted to do it in the form of spiritual expression through music and through dance and through expression and so it was an opportunity and even though it was in black history month it was important because that's when we got the resourcing to do it in the budget right so because we had budget but we wanted to make it so that people uh, within the catholic university community would see what was being birthed from an organization and the expressions of either their history or the expressions of where they came from. Mm. And it was a phenomenal just time in which we were like, we're gonna create, we we don't see it, but we're gonna create it, right? And we're gonna show that by doing it, you can have expression and and we can really show the beauty of of who we are on campus so that we are are visible, we're seen, but we also are having an impact. And so I think that was the, the thought process around doing our spiritual jubilee. 
That's creative. And it also speaks towards you have this extensive career, right, in, in, in research and, and helping others. And, and also, I just love how um, you open people's eyes, right? Mm. And this might not be necessarily research, but it is an extracurricular that fully ties into who you are. And I, I think that speaks towards, you know, you have students and they may not see right now how an extracurricular, you know, activity that they have or a club that they're a part of is really shaping them mm. um, and feeding into a part of their character that's really a foundation for who they are, right? And I just... To me, this is just encouragement for students to, if you have an idea, like, go for it. Do it. Do it. Mm -hmm. Open Do people's it. eyes. And, and, and in it, you never know how it's going to tie into your full platform, your full story. You're, you're so right. You, you're so right. And what it does is it also helps you to build your courage, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, by saying that not only can I do this, not me, but can we do this? We did do this. And so, you know, on the question of courage, it helps to build that thing inside of you that says, I can do it. I can do it. Even if I haven't seen it, I can't do it. But this is also what it does. And I was having a conversation actually with a colleague about a month ago, and she was actually complaining about extracurricular activities in the schools. And her, 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 her thought was she was from a different country. And she said, in her country, all you have to do is sit down and just study, just study what you need to study. And that's it. And my argument was, is that that isn't it, because you need to have some way of, of communicating with people. Right. So if you're just in your room with your books, studying for yourself, when it comes down to being able to work with people and collaborate with people, and you've not had any experience in doing that, then you become a terrible manager, right? You become mm -hmm. an awful leader because the only mm -hmm. thing you're thinking about is what you do, right? Mm -hmm. And that totally misses the point. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying anything about, you know, the, the leading style, leadership style of this person, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, is, to, is to your point. The point is that the way that you learn how to work in collaboration with people, the way that you learn how to listen to people, the way that you learn how to get people to listen to you, the way that you work together and do the give and take so that you can, because you know, it's a lot of arguments. That's there. In Basakor, we had a lot of arguments, but it was arguments in love, right? You didn't like, you know, hit someone with a hammer or, <laughs> or anything. If, if uh, I don't think that's the right analogy these days, but you didn't hit someone, <laughs> it totally came out. But you didn't like hit someone with something because they didn't agree with you. But you work with them through it, and then after you had the argument, you go out and got ice cream or whatever. You know, so it, it was really that kind of of interaction. And to the point that you're making, those kinds of experiences help me understand how to work with people and how to deal with people and how to how to how to work through conflict and how to res resolve conflict in professional settings even in impersonal settings um and it and it does exactly that mm -hmm. exactly. so thank you for that comment yeah well melva thanks so much for reflecting and sharing and there are many other things that i'm sure that we could talk about from your time as a student but i'm glad we got to revisit this highlight so kudos from us yeah many many years later for the work that you did and the foundation that you laid for what students are able to do here now Wow, you made my day. You made my day. And Br Brett, before 
you exit. <laughs> I just want to thank my soror and Alpha Kappa Alpha. All right. For all of the advice and and all of the outpouring of just your experience, your journey, Brett. It is women like Melva that make us who we are. Mm. She is wow. truly amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you, Sora. That's wow. That's that's amazing. And sisterhood is important. Mm-hmm. But you know, thank you for that. I appreciate. Mm-hmm. It. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Brett, go ahead. Go ahead. Take <laughs> it away. Well, yeah. Thank you, Melva, and thank you to both of you for the wonderful role models and examples that you are. Thank yeah. you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Yeah. So, Melva, working in a large company mm-hmm. is different than working, you know, in, in the smaller startups. And you've done both. Mm-hmm. In talking about your trajectory and your journey, how do you approach your work in each type of, of company environment? In the same way. I start off any experience. And, and and let me just add into that. I'm, I'm a senior pastor of a church in Washington, and, and it's a very small church. And so it's almost as though we're starting to build, rebuild that church as well. It was under a different leadership of my brother before. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's the same capacity, but it's the same approach. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so the way that I start is I always start by asking myself a critical question or a critical series of questions. What needs to be done? What's the problem that needs to be solved? What am I here for? And I want to be able to get clarity of that first in my head. Uh, and then the second thing is to listen to those around me, right? If it's not, if it's industry that hasn't been started before, I listen to people who have operated in that area. So if I'm going into a startup in a particular area, what's the problem? You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a healthcare scientist. So I always start with looking at what's the unmet need, you know, what's the, what's the environment look like? What's the needs assessment? So I start by, I start, whether it's small or big or medium, I start by understanding what, I, what is it that I want to do? What's the objective? What's the purpose? And then I try to listen to people to understand what the problem is. How do they feel about who the players and then if I have a team or if I don't have a team, usually always there are some sort of strategic partners or there's some sort of, you know, it, 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 other people, right? Um, I, I listen to people. So I always start with the perspective of listening. And then what I do is I then uh, try to understand the resources around or try to understand what my resources are that I can then apply to the situation or build in order to achieve success. And then I have, I, I always try to, understand what is my plan for the first week, the first 30 days, 60 days, 90 days and year, right? And a lot of people think, oh, that's boring, but it isn't, right? Because that's your horizon, right? Or, or three years, whatever. You want to plan that out at least or try to get that on paper so that you then have measurable goals that you can work towards. Now, there will be different goals, whether it's in a larger organization or a smaller organization, uh, but those are important. I think that once you kind of do that, you then, that's when the work starts, in my opinion, or real work starts, mm-hmm. right? Because now you have to begin to start negotiating systems. And when you negotiate systems, you're negotiating territories mm-hmm. and you're negotiate, negotiating what people are comfortable with doing. And usually if, if it, my, my approach, whether it's a big company, a, a smaller company, I'm usually in something that's either just starting up because of my skill set, or that they just want to start up, right? So you have to work through people's space and create a, uh, an environment where people feel comfortable working with you, right? 
sharing information with you, right? Giving up a little bit of their turf to build something that is greater. Let me give you an example, if I might. At Santa Fe, I worked to do a collaborative initiative. I was a developmental initiative for me, so I got a chance to work a little bit out of my, my, my core function. But it was an opportunity to see how the company could improve the retention of patients in clinical trials, because you had a lot of patients that were dropping out. You had the rework of protocols. It was very costly. So it involved multiple divisions and multiple people, right? So my approach or my needed approach was to be able to get people to collaborate with me, right? Outside of their normal job and work in an environment so that they can figure out how the answer solved. And so I had to find out what was important to them and build that into the process so that it engaged them rather than put them away so that they could feel as though they had ownership, right? And it took a little time, mm-hmm. but we were very successful in the process. So that that's the approach, whether small or little. Again, understand what the goal is, be able to listen to people, understand, put your KPIs and in, 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 uh, key performance indicators in place, find out what you want to do in the course of time, one month, three months, six months, year, and then be able to really work in a way that's collaborative so that you're a good partner. You see it going back to the beginning, yeah. <laughs> back, to the, yeah. back to the roots, right? <laughs> it's the same thing, right? It's not real for me. So it, it's really a, almost like a golden thread that I've been able to pull based on the foundation that I got. Number one, of course, was my mom, which was a faith family and, and a strong foundation in the church. And I, and I bless God for that first and give him glory. And then how that carried on to Catholic University and the principles that I learned there, the respect for people, the collaboration, going into different environments, but always having a respect for people and being able to be collaborative in the process, because that is the foundation of the knowledge that I learned, I think, for my training and for my interactions, particularly at Catholic. It's great. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. This has been <laughs> wonderful. i it's such a good conversation because I feel like there is advice here for every mm-hmm. point in, in anyone's career trajectory. And, and you're, you're right. You're navigating relationships. And this isn't just the advice you're giving. It relates to all aspects of our, 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 our social interaction. Mm-hmm. And so our personal and professional development. And it's just been really nice talking to you yeah and learning this yeah yeah likewise well well, i send prayers out to both of you all for uh just uh, utmost success in all that you do i appreciate the opportunity to just take some time with you and thank you for letting me share a little bit of my story i I really appreciate it and i appreciate you yeah absolutely thanks so much melvo Mm -hmm. really appreciate that And as always, thank you for listening to this episode of Cardinal Conversations. Yeah, always a pleasure to do this with you, Ryan. And we are grateful to our guests, as well as to the Center for Academic and Career Success and the Office of Alumni Engagement for allowing us to partner together to hear and learn from our alumni career stories. Yeah, you can find links to resources for the blast from the past and other interesting things in the show description in your podcast app. If you'd like to support the students, research, and mission of the Catholic University of America, you can also click on the giving link in the show description as well. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Until next time.